Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I'm in Matthew 28, and we're going to take up the resurrection appearances. And I will say right now, this is a very, very difficult passage here because we have to harmonize with the four Gospels that talk of the resurrection events. There's a lot of harmonization problems. So let's get started. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Before I get into all the details, I'm going to give you some introductory notes. First of all, there are two very difficult things to determine. The first is, who were the women who first saw the empty tomb? We can't know for certain, but I'm going to tell you who four of the women were for certain, and the other women we don't know. We know that Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary was there. I call her the other Mary. She's the wife of Cleophas, the mother of James, the son of Alphaeus, James the Lesser. She's the mother of also another guy named Joseph. I'm just going to call her Mary, the wife of Cleophas. Easiest way to remember her. Actually, I'm going to call her the other Mary because that's that's the easiest way to refer to her. And then we have Salome. She was the mother of probably the mother of James and John, the son of Zebedee. So she was probably the wife of Zebedee. And then we have Joanna, who was the wife of Chusa, who was Herod Antipas's steward. We know from the four Gospels that those four were there. And then we also know another woman, some other women were there, or another, at least another woman was there. She's unnamed. The other difficult thing to determine, besides who was there, is the chronological order of the events of the resurrection narratives. Now, there's lots of ways to harmonize the resurrection narrative. Skeptics like to look at it and say that the situation is hopeless because it's all full of errors and the sovereign God has, has created a fraud. And the Bible is not really true. Well, of course, we're go I'm going to give you a suggested chronology in just a minute, which I think will handle most of the objections. There's more than one possible chronology, because there's a lot of people moving back and forth. you got the group of women, and then Mary Magdalene splits off from that group of women. Then you got Peter and Jane, John splitting off from the other apostles. And when you put all the permutations and combinations together uh, of the timing of events and the people involved in the events and the vantage point of the four gospel writers and all when you put all that together you get a lot of complexity but i'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible as i can now how do we know who the women are there matthew mentions mary magdalene and the other mary mark mentions mary magdalene the other mary and salome the mother of james and john son of zebedee and then luke mentions the mary magdalene the other mary and joanna the wife of herod Antipas's husband and luke also mentions some other women were there but he doesn't name them, unfortunately, and John only mentions Mary Magdalene. So you put all those together and you come up with at least those four women that I mentioned, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, Salome, jo Joanna, and somebody else. Now here's a suggested chronology of what happened on that first Resurrection Sunday. Here's the morning. Very early in the morning, a group of several women, including Mary Magdalene, approached the tomb to complete burial customs on behalf of Jesus. They see the tomb opened and become alarmed because the tomb has already been opened before they get there. Mary Magdalene splits off and she runs to Peter and John with the distressing news of likely grave robbers. Now she does this before she sees the angel, the angels, I should say, the two angels that are there. The women who remain behind and don't go running off to tell the other apostles about the grave robbers, those remaining women, they see an angel who declares to them that Jesus has risen and they should tell this to the brother. Now, I'm going to get into the situation of whether there's one or two angels. That's a big issue. We'll talk about that later. But at least one of those angels told the women 
that, that, that were there that Jesus had risen, go tell that to the other apostles. So the women are filled with fear at first, and then they leave the tomb and they're afraid to speak. But recovering their courage, they decide to go to the apostles. So now we've got Mary Magdalene going to tell the apostles that the grave has been robbed. Somebody's taken the body. And then we've got the other women going to the apostles to tell them, Jesus is risen because an angel told us so. Now, Mary Magdalene reaches the apostles, and Peter and John run out ahead of the other apostles, heading back to the tomb. Of course, they're outrunning Mary. Mary's following, but she's not keeping up with them. They go and investigate Mary's claim that the tomb had been robbed. Mary Magdalene followed them back out of the tomb and arrived before Peter and John had left. Now, Peter and John discovered that the tomb was empty. John thereupon believes in the resurrection. They saw the grave close. Nobody. John believes. Peter's conclusion is not recorded. Peter and John leave. Now, meanwhile, the other women have reported what the angels have said to the, the apostles minus Peter and John, the nine apostles that are there besides Peter and John. Peter and John have not yet returned. So the nine remaining apostles are dismissive of the women's story. They don't believe it. They think it's nonsense. Well, now, if Peter and John had been there to say, hey, we just saw the empty tomb and there's grave clothes left, they might have believed, but Peter and John weren't there. So the nine apostles didn't believe the women's report of what the angel had said. All right, so Peter and John have left the tomb. The, the other women have, headed, have gone to talk to the apostles. Mary Magdalene has returned to the tomb. She's by herself. She's lingering at the tomb. She's weeping. She's fearful. She looks into the tomb, and she sees two angels who are wondering why she weeps. Jesus then approaches her from behind. Not looking directly at Jesus, she supposes him to be the gardener. Then he calls her by name, and Mary, recognizing his voice, turns and sees him. Filled with joy, she clings to him. So this is the first appearance of the resurrected Jesus to any human being, Mary Magdalene, the supposed prostitute who had been filled with seven demons. Jesus tells Mary to go back to the apostles with the news that he is risen. He wants to see them later that night, later Sunday, and he wants Mary to prepare them. So now the other apostles have got the other women who've already told them that Jesus has risen from the dead. And now Mary Magdalene is going to go back to tell them the same thing. The other women have departed the apostles after delivering the news of what the angels had told them about the resurrection of Jesus. And they're on their way back home. Then they run into Jesus. Jesus appears to them. This is after he had sent Mary back to the apostles to tell them of his resurrection. So Jesus also sends the other women back to the apostles with the news that he had risen that he would see them. So that was the second appearance was to the other women, that other group of women. The other Mary, jo Joanna, and Salome, and perhaps some others. And that basically is what happened. There, now, there's some other possible harmonizations. This is the simplest one that I found, and I'm going to go with it as we go through this. All right, let's talk about Mary Magdalene, the first woman to see, the first person to see Jesus risen from the dead. We learn in Mark 16, verse 9, that Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene, as I've just said, and Mark mentions, out of whom he had driven seven demons. I guess that's sort of a, I guess that's sort of a bad way to be remembered. That's how she's identified, the woman who had seven demons driven out of her. Luke does the same thing in Luke 8, 2. Mary called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Magdala was a city on the western sea coast of the Sea of Galilee. All right, now, Mary Magdalene was in that first group of women coming 
assuming they came together, that some people dispute that, but assuming they came together, Mary Magdalene was one of that group of women. And then also the other Mary I've been calling her. Mark 15 says she's the mother of Joseph, so Joseph. Mark 16 says that she was Mary, the mother of James. So if we put that together, we get Mary, the James, mother of James and Joseph. Then we look at Matthew 27. We have among them, Matthew 27, verse 56, among them, among the women, were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Matthew puts together what Mark has in two different places. So that's why we call her Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. She's the wife of Cleophas. We learn that in John 19:25. This is not at the resurrection now, but at the crucifixion. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, Mary, his mother's sister, whoever that might be, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So if we have put those two together, if Mary, the wife of Clopas, is also the mother of James and uh, Joseph, and again, that's an assumption. People the people in this in this area will dispute everything, but assuming they're the same people, we now learn that she's the wife of Clopas, who, by the way, was... Also, if it's the same Cleophas who was coming back on the road to Emmaus that Jesus appeared to, so there's another connection there, possibly. And some people even say that this other Mary is the sister of the Virgin Mary because in John 19:25 it says this, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, comma, his mother's sister, comma, Mary, the wife of Clopas. And if you take Mary, the wife of Clopas, as in opposition to his mother's sister, that means his mother's sister is the same person as Mary, the wife of Clopas. But you don't have to. The Greek is ambiguous. It could be two different people. I tend to think it's somebody different. But I don't know. The reason I think it's somebody different is because if Mary, the wife of Clopas, the other Mary, is the Virgin Mary's sister, that means you've got two Marys in the same family. What parent would do that? But on the other hand... When it says that Mary, the wife of Clopas, is his mother's sister, it could be his mother's sister-in-law. So that Mary could be the sister-in-Mary, the other Mary could be the sister-in-law of the Virgin Mary. So anyway, I'm not going to get into all that complication. I just mentioned it to you to show you how complicated all this is. Now let's look at another harmonization problem here. It says that these women, after the Sabbath, that's of course after the Sabbath means on Sunday, as the first day of the week was dawning, so it sounds like the sun had risen. But on the other hand, in a parallel passage, John 20, verse 1, it says this, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So how do you reconcile Matthew, who says that the day was dawning, and John, who says it was dark? Mark says it was very early in the morning. They went to the tomb at sunrise. Sunrise? How is that dark? All right, so here's three options how you harmonize the still dark situation that's in John 21 and the dawning of Matthew 28.1 and the sunrise of Mark 16.2 as the women approached the tomb. Here's one way to harmonize it. The women left while it was still dark. So in John 20, it's, it's talking about the leaving of the women while it was still dark. And then they arrived just after dawn. And, that, and that's what Matthew and Mark are looking at in their version. I prefer the second harmonization, which is the sky gets lighter at dawn, but it's still effectively dark at night. If you're outside at night, you can see the sun is about to come up, but it's still dark. It's still nighttime. And so it's just a different way of describing the same time. Not that they left and arrived at different times, but it's that Matthew says the day was dawning, which means that it was dark, but the sun just getting ready to come up. And John said it was dark because it was dark because the sun hadn't come up yet. The third way to possibly reconcile the darkness and the lightness of the arriving of the women 
was that the women arrived in two groups. One group arrived at night and one group arrived at the dawn. I don't believe that one, but that's the reason I don't believe that is because I've taken a simple harmonization approach that all those women arrived in one group because I, whenever I got an option between something complicated and something simple, I take the simple one. So I simply say it's one group. Now, they, these women came to view the tomb. Now, they just didn't want to see the tomb. They'd already seen it before on Friday afternoon in Matthew 27. We read that they followed Joseph of Arimathea to see where the body was buried. But what they wanted to see the tomb for, they wanted to see if they could get there to anoint the body with spices and ointments. That was their goal. Luke 24.1 says this on the first day of the week, Sunday. Very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. And Mark 16, verses 1 through 2 says, When the Sabbath was over, in other words, on Sunday, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the other Mary, and Salome bought spices so they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. So they were trying to prepare Jesus' body properly for burial. Matthew 28, verse 2. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. Now, the way the translations read here, it makes it sound like this happened after the women got there, which is not so. I just looked at the Greek to be sure that this was so. You can easily say suddenly there, there, there had been a sudden violent earthquake because the angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and approached the tomb. And I don't know why they don't translate it that way, but... Uh, those aorist tenses can be translated that way in a perfect sense. And, and the Homer Christian Study Bible at least doesn't do it that way. But my NIV Study Bible says it is clear from parallel accounts that these events occurred before the women arrived. The earthquake and the removal of the angel uh, rolling back the stone. We look at the parallel accounts, Mark 16, verses 2 through 6, and we see this. Very early in the morning... On the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. It was already rolled away when they got there. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. They were amazed and alarmed, and so forth. Luke 24, verses 1 through 7. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found past tense, the stone rolled away from the tomb. John 20, verse 1, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So parallel passages make this clear. That's not clear with the way they tra- with the way the Holman Christian Study Bible translates Matthew 28, 2 is not clear. Sounds like the earthquake and the rolling of the stone happened as they arrived. It didn't. It would already been rolled back when they arrived now this rolling back of the stone and 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 the angels being there probably scared the roman guards to death and why did they do that by the way why was the angel just sitting there on the rock he's probably saying ah you're not coming near here guards you're probably going to come over here you're not coming here to make sure that that seal back body or whatever you're not coming here and make it look like there's still somebody in this grave you're not going to come here to do that And so the Roman guards hightailed it out of there to tell either Pilate or their Jewish bosses what had happened. The angel was also probably sitting there waiting for some of Jesus' friends because you would assume that Jesus' disciples would go to the tomb and, and he was just sitting there. He said, okay, when they get here, I'm going to tell them the good news. Jesus is risen. 
right, now, since we're here with the angels, we are going to have to reconcile this big problem about one angel or two angels. This is The reason I say it's a big problem is because skeptics love to talk about this. Oh, there's a contradiction in the Bible. You can't reconcile it. Oh, yes, you can. Not a problem. I read a website just now that Bart Ehrman, the number one skeptic, former evangelical quizzling, who betrayed his evangelical faith and decided to become a liberal, which was uh, about the dumbest career decision he ever made. He, uh, This website said that he is constantly talking about this. Will somebody please tell him how you can reconcile it? Okay, well, so let's look at how we can reconcile it. First of all, let's look at the other parallel passages. In Luke 24, 4, it says, While they, the women, were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So there's two angels there. In John 20, 12, which is another instance when Mary Magdalene was alone, not with the other women, she saw two angels. And in Mark 16, 1, it says the women, not Mary Magdalene, but the group of women, saw a, a young man sitting on the right side. So you got two and you got one. All right, in my stage of ignorance here, I'm going to give the best harmonization that I can find that I think that works the best. Matthew was only informing about the one angel who had rolled away the stone. That happened before any of the other women arrived. They never even saw that, and so he just mentions that one angel because that's the one that rolled away the stone. Now, the one in John's account, the two angels in John's account, is easy because that only refers to Mary Magdalene's visit when she came alone. And that was di different than the visit of the other two women, so she saw two angels there. Now, Mark only has one angel, and as I said, uh, and, and uh, Luke, I'm sorry, Luke has two angels. To reconcile Mark and Luke, Mark never stated that there was only one angel there. He just said that there was one angel speaking, and where there are two, there is one. So Mark, Mark is focusing on the angel who was speaking to them and saying, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So Mark one. gives a lot of quotations from the angels, so he just mentions the one angel who's talking. He doesn't mention the other. Mark never said there was only one angel there. And Luke just mentions two. So, and while we're at it, there's another chestnut that liberal skeptics love to point out. Some of the angels are sitting and some of them are standing. The one, the angels, the two angels in Luke are standing. The one angel in Mark is sitting. Well, this, without getting into a lot of detail, the simplest way to to answer that is that Mark and Luke are recording what happened at different times. I mean, you know, the time is passing here, and angels are not required to stand or sit rigid and not move around. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on reconciliation, so let's move on. Why did the angel roll the stone back? Well, now here's some options. First. Perhaps it was so that the risen Jesus could walk out of the tomb. Some people say, well, that's not necessary. Jesus could have just passed through the stone, as some say. Well, I'm not so sure about that. You know, there's a lot of times people say that that night, Sunday night, he passed through the walls to see the apostles in the room in which they were locked. It never says that, actually. It, that's just an inference that people make. I'm not sure Jesus could pass through the stone. Maybe he could. I don't know. But... It's a better witness to everybody, all the humans who saw it, like those guards. Just a better witness to see that open stone there, that open graveyard. Some people, as I say, Jesus didn't need the store open. He could have, the stone open, the door open. He could have just passed through the stone, as I just mentioned. Or, or some people just say, why didn't he just? He, Jesus just could have pushed the stone away. He was God. He was a resurrected God. I'm not sure how strong the resurrected Jesus is. He's still a human, you know. That is, he's a resurrected human at the same time. So I don't know all that. But 
I really think, as I just said, it was to open that grave up so that it would be a testimony for the wit- the women that came. They could be eyewitnesses that Jesus had res- been resurrected. So I think that's why they rolled the stone back. It wasn't really to get Jesus out of the tomb. He, he possibly could have gotten out there by himself without the angels. Now, this stone was easy to roll into place, but hard to roll back because once you slip that stone in the groove and roll it down, it's hard to get it out of the groove again, according to the NIV Study Bible. And I suspect it's because to roll downhill, they rolled it downhill and then to go, they had to roll it uphill to get it back out again. I don't know. I, I say this because if you recall somewhere previously in Matthew, it mentions that Joseph Arimathea had buried had, had rolled the stone back in front, and, and the question arose, well, how did he do that? Well, he probably had help, but it was men that did it. Here we had angels rolling it back, and an earthquake having something to do with it. So that, that little detail probably explains that men could, could put it in there easy, but once you got it in there, it was hard to get it out. And I suspect that's because of grave robbers. Once you set that grave up and roll that stone in front, of you want it to be as hard to get away from there as possible so that people can't rob graves. So they probably slid it, slid it into a the groove and it was probably uphill and they just rolled it down the hill in the in the groove and once it was there hard to get it out now before we leave this first let's discuss the earthquake that took place matthew is the only gospel writer who mentions the two earthquakes the one at jesus's crucifixion when the matthew 27 saints came out of the graves resurrected and the one here at the resurrection i don't know why the other three didn't mention it you would think it was kind of significant but they didn't I've got an idea why that might be. It's because the word seismos, the Greek word seismos, as Adam Clark says, does not necessarily have to be translated as earthquake. It can also mean confusion, and it may, the word may have referred to the confusion caused among the guards by the angel's appearance, a shaking, a commotion of the guards. So there wasn't an actual earthquake, and that's why the other ones didn't mention it. They just mentioned the psychological state of the guards. Interesting idea total speculation. John Gill says that this earthquake earthquake may have just been a local shaking of the ground near the tomb in order to shake the tomb loose. And again, another question is, are angels strong enough to move big rocks like that? Or was it necessary to have an earthquake? I don't know. All this is speculation. Let's move on now to the third verse of Matthew 28. His appearance, that means the appearance of the angel rolled stone back, was like lightning. And his robe was as white as snow. I'm sure Matthew must have gotten this information from from people who heard the guards go tell it to the to, uh, to the Jews when they went back and said, "Hey, we, you set a guard here." Remember, the guards were, the Jews were in charge of this contingent of soldiers. And when they went back and said that the tomb was open, oh my gosh! Well, anyway, the word would have gotten out from the people who heard that, and I'm assuming that's how Matthew knows about this. His appearance was like lightning, and his robe was as white as snow. Now. For those of you who like to talk about it, think about angels. Lightning, that expresses glory. His robe is as white as snow, that expresses purity. Anytime you see light, that reminds people of heaven and God. I don't know why, that's just the symbols, the way God made nature to symbolize himself. He was also young, because if this angel is the same angel that we refer, we read about in Mark 16, 5, and it not, it's not necessarily so, but if they are the same... Mark describes the angel as this, a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, a young man. So you get the idea from this that the angels are, first of all, they're male. That's, I heard an old Hank Williams gospel song talking about the angel she. Of course, I guess Hank Williams is not the best theologian in the world, but my gosh, angels are not she. That's, that's, that's new age before new age even got here. 
Angels are he, and in this case they said they were young, so you get the feeling they were strong and young in appearance. Matthew 28, verse 4. The guards were so shaken from fear of him, they became like dead men, fear of that angel. Now this is remarkable because these were hardened Roman soldiers. They were used to seeing killing and mayhem on the field of battle. But angels are something else. Seeing an angel is something else. Guilty. And they may have had a guilty conscience adding to their fear because they knew that Jesus wasn't. And if these, these were the same guys that had crucified Jesus, they had heard his words. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. They heard the earthquake. They saw the darkening of the sky for three hours. They knew that, boy, this guy's not a normal criminal, and maybe we just killed some kind of God. And now they see an angel, another supernatural appearance, and now they're thinking, oh, my gosh, we are in for it. We're going to be struck dead for what we've done. Adam Clark says the resurrection was a subject of terror to the servants of sin. Contrast the resurrection, the attitude, uh, contrast the hope the resurrection brings to the penitent. We're excited about it when we ask God for the forgiveness of our sins. But if we don't have forgiveness for our sins, we think about Jesus resurrected. That means he's going to judge our sins. There also might have been a natural fear here. They might have thought somebody had gotten the body because obviously the, the, the grave is standing open and they would be responsible. Now, they couldn't really go down there and check to see if the body was still there because the angels were, angels were there. So they hightailed it out of there. Jameson Fawcett and Brown has a sarcastic remark. Is the sepulcher sure now, O you chief priest? He that sitteth in the heavens doth laugh at you. <laughs> He's referring to the fact the chief priest had set the guards down there to guard the tomb, had sent the guards down there to guard the tomb and had sealed the tomb and didn't do any good. The angels trumped that. Matthew 28, verses 5 through 6. But the angel, that's the angel who moved the stone when the women got there. Now we're, now we're back to the of the women seeing the angel. They didn't see the angel move the stone, but they did see the angel now. But the angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been resurrected, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Now again, why is only one angel mentioned here? Well, this is the angel that moved the stone. That's my opinion. And since Matthew is just referred to the angel that moved the stone, he refers to the angel that's talking. He just doesn't mention the other angel that's there. The angel told the women, don't be afraid. Well, why would the women be afraid? Well, it's common for anyone to see an angel to be afraid. The soldiers were afraid for certain. The women were afraid too because this is the typical emotional response all through the scriptures when people see an angel. Like in John, saw an angel in the book of Revelation. John hit the, put his face on the ground. Daniel did the same thing, I think. Now let's look at the parallel passage to see what the angel said, which is very similar, but it's got a little, a little bit more detail. Luke chapter 24, verses 6 through 7. He is not here, but he has been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. So we see here that the angels are referring back to teaching that Jesus had already given to these women and the other disciples. And the angel is trying to confirm the truth of the resurrection by saying, look, Jesus has already predicted this, and it's happened. Don't you remember when Jesus predicted this? Now, to drive home the point that Jesus actually did predict this, and many, many times I'm going to give you a list of five scriptures where he predicted his crucifixion, and five, six, seven scriptures where he predicted his resurrection. Now, of course, the disciples didn't believe him when he said it. They had a hard time believing it, and that might be why Jesus repeated it so much. And as I, and as I go through these... Again, some of them might be parallels. I, I didn't pick those out, but 
uh, if you'll forgive that redundancy there, you'll still get the feel of how much Jesus had, had tried to prepare them for his crucifixion and resurrection. Let's start with this crucifixion first. Five scriptures predicting that before the crucifixion. Luke 9.22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day, Jesus tells the disciples. Luke 9.31, they appeared in glory and were speaking of his death, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. That was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Luke 9.44, let these words sink in, which they didn't. Let these words sink in. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Luke 18, 32-33, For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on. And after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. So Matthew 17, verse 22, As they were meeting in Galilee, Jesus told them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. So it was very clear he was going to be betrayed. And this is what the angel was referring to when he said, Remember when he said the Son of Man must be betrayed? Do you remember that? And be crucified? The angel also said, do you remember when Jesus said he will rise on the third day? Well, let's see when they were told that Jesus would rise on the third day. Seven scriptures, Matthew 17, 9, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. That's the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17, 23, they will kill him and on the third day he will be raised up. And they were deeply distressed. They didn't notice that raised up. They, they focused on the kill him. But Jesus had told them, I'm going to be raised up. They didn't really believe it. Kind of off their radar scopes. Mark 8:31. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. Mark 9:31. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. Mark 10, 34, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and he will rise after three days. Luke 18, 33, and after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. Luke 24, 46, he also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. So, the angel, is, the angel knew what he was talking about. Now, the angel says, come and see the place where he lay. Why would, he, why would the angel say that? Well, that's to give more proof to the women, because the place where he lay is empty. It's not there anymore. Now, note what would have been the case if the tomb had not been a new one. Suppose that it had been an old one. An old corpse might have been in the tomb. If the woman had seen that old corpse, they would think, ah, that's probably Jesus. That's Jesus. He's still dead. But it was a new tomb. There was only one body in that tomb. And now there was zero bodies in that tomb. The logical implication of that is that one body has risen from the dead. Now, it's interesting, as many people like to point out, and I'll point it out here too, is that the first witnesses of the resurrection were women. Now, they had served Jesus during his lifetime, even in Galilee. They did not scatter his death like the men disciples did. They came to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body like the men disciples didn't. Now, in as a possible mitigating factor, when we talk about what the men didn't do, is they could have been in more danger than the women. The Jews probably would not have really worried too much about women spreading the faith in Jesus because the men would have been the leaders of the of the messianic movement, the, the the false heretical movement that Christianity would have been, and they probably wouldn't fear the women for that. So you got to take that into account. And also, on the other hand, when you're talking about the women were there and the men weren't, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were there. Body. They took the Joseph took the body down off the cross, and Nicodemus helped put spices on the Friday afternoon after the crucifixion, and they were in the Sanhedrin. They could have easily gotten in a lot of trouble. 
but they didn't scatter. Of course, they were secret disciples, though. I, I will say that. They weren't open like the other disciples were. So anyway, if we're going to go around assigning blame as to who was cowards and who weren't, we've got to bring in all the factors here. But it, that, nevertheless, whatever you say about that, these women were the first to see Jesus rise again from the dead. And notice that women's testimony was not even allowed in court back then, and, but Jesus entrusted God, entrusted the witness of his resurrection to be in the hands of women. Some of the first, the first witness of his resurrection being the hands of women, which is also an argument that this stuff is not made up. I mean, if you're trying to make a case that Jesus rose from the dead, from the dead, and it's a false case, you wouldn't pick women to be your first witnesses because people are not likely to believe women back then as much as they would believe men. But those gospel writers were writing it like it was. They weren't trying to construct a good case, a good false case. Now we have a little problem here about the angel telling the women that he has been resurrected. But then Mary Magdalene is going to tell the apostles that somebody's robbed the grave. Look, they've taken the body, which contradicts what the angel said. And, of course, skeptics love to point this and say, see there, there's errors in the Bible. Well, Gleason Archer tries to resolve that by saying that Mary Magdalene was so upset and so emotionally contorted that she didn't reconcile what the angel said about resurrection with what she had seen that the grave that the tomb was empty and what she thought was that the tomb had been robbed that she basically just didn't comprehend she didn't process what the angel said now psychologically when people psychologically when people are under a lot of stress that actually wouldn't surprise me but i don't believe that's what happened that was gleason archer's attempt to solve that that little problem the best solution i think is the fact that mary since she left the women to go tell peter and john she she probably separated from the women before the angel showed up or, or excuse me, before they, they, the women went into the tomb to see the angels, uh, Mary Magdalene had, had already left to see the apostles, and I think that explains why she hadn't heard this talk about Jesus being resurrected. Let's look at verse 5 where it says, But the angel told the women. Now again, that's that problem of one angel and two angels. Now it sounds like the angel that's being referred to here is the angel who, who had earlier moved the stone. But notice that the Greek has no article. So it could be an angel told the woman. The the makes it sound like it's the one that moved the stone, in which case you don't have a problem because an angel told it, and Matthew just doesn't mention the other angel that was there. But even if assuming it was the the angel that moved the stone, that's why he didn't mention the other angel present because he's mentioning the angel who rolled away the stone who was the one doing the talk, and the other angel was just there. It's not a problem. To, except to those who love to manufacture problems so they can justify their rebellion against the God who created them and who wants to have fellowship with them, but they have no, want no part of that. They would prefer to go to hell. Matthew 28, verse 7, so they can be apart from the presence of God forever. And then they can talk about Bible contradictions forever in the presence of Satan. Matthew 28, 7, Then go quickly and tell his disciples, say the angels to the women, he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. John Gill points out as it, as it, as it was a woman who was the first to sin, that, that is Eve. Now women are the first to testify of redemption from sin. From sin. Mark 16, 7 adds a detail. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, say the angels, angel. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter is mentioned specifically. Why is Peter broken out from the rest of the disciples and mentioned specifically? In my opinion, it's because Peter was the one who was crying the hardest because of his denial of the Lord. The angels are trying to buck him up a little bit. Tell Peter, 
He's risen, so you don't have to sit there and worry about the fact that you denied him so much. Now, there's a problem here of why the angel told the disciples, the women to tell the disciples to go ahead to Galilee. Actually, it says, it doesn't really say that. It says, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him. They didn't actually say go there. Earlier, before his crucifixion, Jesus told the disciples he was going to meet him there. Because Jesus is going to, the problem arises because Jesus sees the apostles Sunday night and the next Sunday night, too, as we'll talk about shortly or in the next audio. So, but this is not a contradiction here because just because they say that to go to Galilee does, is, is not saying that I will not see the disciples before they go to Galilee. He never said that. So that, that's not a problem either. Now, it, when the dis, women apostles, the, excuse me, the women disciples of Jesus tell the other apostles that Jesus is going ahead of them to Galilee, that will actually give them some credibility because... The disciples, the apostles knew that Jesus had said that. Matthew 26, verse 32, Jesus had told them, but after I've been resurrected, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So they already knew that they were going going to go to Galilee. And then the women said, the angel says he's going ahead to Galilee. Ah, that should, that should give the women credibility. Of course, it didn't work. Apostles didn't believe the women. It was a pretty incredible story. You can imagine the disciples saying, what? He's risen from the dead? But the women said, yeah, the angel said to go ahead to Galilee. And the apostles might think, well, that's what he told us. Maybe what the women saying are true. Why would Galilee be chosen as the rendezvous place? Most of Jesus' disciples were there. He meant to show himself to disciples there. 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. The, the women and the disciples that were down in Jerusalem were from Galilee originally. It's a safe place from the persecuting Jews, a good place to take up their secular work again so they don't get caught by the Jews, a good place to start the preaching of the gospel, too, because away from the persecuting Jews. All right, I think I'm going to have to stop here. We'll take up Matthew 28, verse 8, next audio. I hope you enjoyed this one.